Welcome to our podcast series, Women to Women. Our guest today is Afroz Abdul. Hi. She's been a pediatrician for almost 24 years. She was born and raised in Hyderabad, India, in an idyllic little town. She worked in leadership positions, the chief pediatrician at the Federally Qualified Health Center in Flint, Michigan. She loved her role both as a pediatrician as an advocate for her patients, especially since the inner city Flint has a population that is extremely underserved with complex medical and social challenges. She worked there for 10 years before moving to a pediatric-focused health center in the same city. She was the director of pediatrics with a team of nurse practitioners, social workers, dietitians, and behavior health specialists. Together, they strove to provide the best medical and behavioral care to the children of Ginny's County while addressing their problems with access to care. She moved to Houston, Texas in early 2020 to be closer to her family, grandkids, with her husband. Coincidentally, that's when the pandemic hit. While waiting for her Texas medical license, she had the opportunity to focus on her family, her mom, who has been recently widowed, and her own hobbies such as cooking and teaching religion. She's looking forward to start working soon with her daughter in her clinic and to continue to be an advocate for children in her community. She plans to continue to mentor and teach medical students. She finds great joy in helping and motivating young people, especially her patients, take care of their health and to do their best in school. So welcome to our podcast, Dr. Hai. Thank you, Nivea. Pleasure to be here. I should say, I should mention that you're doing a great job. This is a very original idea of yours, so I'm honored to be here. We uh, lived in Bietia, which was like a really pretty little place uh, on the outskirts of Hyderabad. It was like a perfect uh, model town with its own schools and uh, beautiful community, avenue trees, breathing spaces, you know. so we were lucky to you know live in that area so i love living there and then of course the one thing that everybody had to do was do good in school like um, most good indian kids so <laughs> so we all tried to do good in school and then there was a lot of culture there was a, you know there was a lot of community there so i had kind of like an ideal childhood there and then um, I went into medical school, um, very young age. In India, you go into med school right after your 12th. So I was 17 or 18. And then after we started seeing all these dead bodies in the mortuary and, you know, in the dissection hall. So that was a kind of like a shock for us. But, you know, that's how we did our MBBS. And then um, I did my residency there as well in pediatrics before we moved here and then here I continued, uh, I had to do another residency here in the US. So that's quite challenging coming from a small town, which is like pretty self-sufficient, it's self-contained. I've, I've been there, I've seen it, it's beautiful by the way. So you're one of the lucky few who get to grow there, you know, grow up, um, it's really nice. So from there to US, which is very different in terms of culture, in terms of um, the place itself, right? How did you make that adjustment? You know, it was pretty hard because, um, you know, I was in my 30s when we moved here. And then, uh, you know, it's like uprooting a tree and then a a grown tree and then, you know, uh, replanting it somewhere else. But I think uh, my family was with me, my kids were there, my husband, they are pretty supportive. 
And then the residency program I joined here too. They, they were very nice people there. My colleagues were excellent people, my teachers, my professors. So I think that all helped. But the initial three months, oh God, it was hard, it was tough. I think those were the toughest days of my life when I think about it. But, you know, uh, I think we got stronger after living through that. I got a little stronger. So, so that's some experience moving, you know, in your 30s with kids to a completely different country. And I'm sure you were practicing back in India and then you kind of had to reestablish yourself here. So yeah. were, were things easy back then? This was a while back. So was it easy enough or was it a huge shift um, in the way things were done? Uh, it was both actually, you know, it was tough because it was a new place. But I think when you're younger, you tend to like adapt a little bit more easily. And uh, when I saw my kids were adapting so easily to the schools and to the new environment, then, you know, I had to like kind of um, adjust myself. So, yeah, so some parts of it were hard, but it was still very doable. You know, if somebody had to do that all over again, I would say go for it. The first three months are going to be really challenging. But after that, once you get the hang of things, uh, once you know, uh, see, we, we were not even used to it, like using computers when we came here and everything here was on the computers, including like uh, sending out prescriptions, doing charts and, you know, all the patient information. So that was a challenge. But. I think it was a good challenge. Was there somebody who really helped you get through this? Any role models that you looked up to or anybody who really was involved with you on a daily basis that really helped you navigate through this new system, new paradigm of doing things? So uh, Divya, I had a lot of role models. Um, in my residency program, of course, my program director, she was an excellent, exceptional woman. And, uh, you know, she always encouraged, they had a lot of culture, cross-cultural training. So people learn about, because we were a group of residents from all over the world. I had residents from Turkey and Sudan and uh, you know many other places, Egypt and my uh, residency program. So we had to learn each other's cultures and, uh, uh, and also deal with the, uh, also learn to deal with the culture, culture here in the US. She was a very supportive lady. She was a very encouraging lady. But I think more than that, my role models, the real role models, I, uh, you know, I learned a lot from was my colleagues once I started working. So my residency was for three years. But after that, when I started working in the federally qualified health center, I had some really good um, colleagues, both of whom were women. And they really taught me a lot about compassion and kindness and how to be a good physician. So in my training, I had learned a lot about medicine, you know, the medical part of medicine, but they taught me the social part of medicine. So I think that was amazing. And they have remained my role models um, uh, till recently. Dr. Carlos, she passed away recently. May she rest in peace, but she was a big role model for me here. So did you always want to become a doctor or was there a turning point where you decided, no, this is what you really want to do? Because I know it's very tough to get into medical school in India, like the top of the top, the cream, de la cream, make it. So, and, and she tells me that you are like the topper throughout. He was like, she's super smart. So I know you would have made it, but did you really want to do medicine or did you take it because that was the best? Yes, Divya, I think that was like how many years ago? So that was 1985, so 35, 36 years ago. 
we really didn't have many choices. You know, I was interested in medicine, but, uh, you know, my dad, he would tell me to do other things too, like the Indian Administrative Service is a great option. And um, I myself was very interested in engineering. My math was pretty good at that time. Not so now, but at that time. And um, so, but medicine seemed like the obvious choice because it had like a lot of respect. It had like, uh, you needed to be like what you said, academically, you needed to be ahead. Finally, when I was in my second year of uh, intermediate, my dad is the one who encouraged me to go into the field. Um, he thought I would like it. And, you know, initially, honestly, I didn't like it, but I got to love it later. So yeah, a lot of times that happens, you know, you start somewhere and then you start enjoying the journey. You start enjoying what you're doing. Exactly. So if you had to do this all over again, mm-hmm. you do still do the same thing or would, would you actually pursue an engineering path? Yeah, like when I think about it, I would choose medicine over anything now. Um, Engineering, I really don't know how it would have turned out for me. But yeah, I really enjoyed it later on, like what you mentioned, when I actually started my pediatrics residency, when I started specializing. And then, of course, when I had my kids and I was learning through them, uh, I was learning my pediatrics, uh, testing my pediatrics knowledge on them. So that's when I really started to get more passionate about this. Medicine is a field, right? One of the few fields where you actually have to have the compassion. You have to be very selfless because it's a lot of long hours, even getting to the point where you start seeing patients, especially pediatrics. Your patients are like the little ones. They are the joy of their parents. And you not only have to manage the patient, but patient's parents too. So were, were there like, if somebody else wants to start now as a pediatrician, what, what are some of the skills they should be focusing on? So a lot of these skills come with being in the profession, you know, going to your, your training and learning, uh, especially the kindness, compassion part. Not all of us are born with those abilities, but this is something you learn on the job. And, um, you know, if you find good mentors and good role models, good teachers, um, you have to you know, uh, model your life around them and try to follow what they are following. First of all, if you want to go into the field of medicine, then, um, you know, really ask why, why uh, your why matters. Like, why do you want to go into medicine? Okay, because I see a lot of young people these days, uh, I don't want to generalize, but I've heard this so many times, that they want to be in medicine for money. But this is what I tell them that, you know, yes, doctors do make uh, money, but if, you, if the only reason you want to be in medicine is for money, there are many easier ways of making money. And, uh, you know, so, you know, money is not a bad thing to pursue, but you have to focus on the human side, like what you said, the kindness and compassion side. If you, so there's something really interesting I was reading recently about uh, Ikigai. So there are four things before you decide a career, what you love, what the world needs, what you can be paid for and what you're good at. So those are the four things, what you love, what you're good at, what the world needs and what you can be paid for. So when all these, four things combined together, you can decide what profession you want to be in. So if all those things 
work for you and they're pointing towards medicine, definitely go for medicine. But remember that it is a long process. It needs a lot of patience, needs a lot of resilience. And, um, you know, my son, he's in radiology now. He's doing his radiology residency now. Many times he will complain of being bored at, um, you know, I mean, he finds it interesting, but many times he's just reading the same things again and again. But I tell him most of medicine can be pretty mundane, you know, you can end up seeing the same patients again and again, but, uh, you know, don't lose. Uh, so look out for that one interesting or the one, in one challenging patient that will keep you going. So look for something uh, good every day in your routine and it will not be a routine. Like any profession is like that, you know, it can get mundane day after day if you're doing the same thing. So that's why it's really important to have that commitment before you go into medicine is whether I really love this, whether if I'm good at it or can I develop my skills to be good at it? And is it something the world needs? Excellent framework. Were there people who didn't believe in you or you started questioning yourself because they were like, so in your face saying not possible? Yeah, you know that all the time, right? This is all the time. So, you know, I was uh, pretty young when I got married um, and I was 21. And then uh, people would say things like, you really cannot keep a marriage and be in medicine and, you know, pursue further training. And then uh, to the sh everybody's shock, I had my uh, children really early too. So I was 22 when I had my daughter. So then uh, they would say things like, well, you cannot balance family life and a career. And how long are you going to be studying? And, uh, you know, there are a lot of people who predicted that, you know, it's hard for you to even complete your MBBS. So <laughs> it's a lot. And then when you're young, these things do get you down. So my advice to young people is, you know, if they're toxic people like that, just don't pay attention to them and surround yourself with people who actually encourage you and, um, you know, who have, who, uh, who have these positive advice for you um, don't let that bring you down and also work on your own self-esteem at that time I'm sure here too we were not really taught much about self-esteem so when somebody says something negative about you it would really bring your self-esteem down so I think for young people uh, these days they are smarter they have realized a lot more about mental health and self-esteem and developing the confidence so I would say but that's a really good thing, working on yourself so the naysayers can, you know, they don't have that impact on you. It all begins with you. If you are strong, then nobody can shake you. Any challenges that you face? So you have had an amazing career, 24 years being a pediatrician, amazing credentials there. Yeah, sometimes it is difficult to keep that, uh, you know, the family and work balance. And then uh, <clears throat> I'm so visibly Muslim. So a lot of people would, you know, have these perceptions about, uh, I've heard a lot of, uh, you know, negative comments about that. Once I remember a patient of mine, uh, uh, older lady, she was like, do you even speak English? I don't want to uh, can't understand me and I can't understand your accent. And uh, some people would say, what's that thing on your head? Uh, aren't you hard on it? So when I first encountered these people, I would just get a little, you know, taken aback. And, uh, but I learned to deal with it um, with a lot of restraint and some humor. 
and some education. Honestly, uh, in pediatrics, it wasn't really much of a challenge for me because kids are innocent. They will ask things out of curiosity, like why do you wear that hat on your head? And I would love explaining to them why I did that and why I do that and this is my faith and there are so many faiths in the world that have like different rules. So, and then they'd be happy to learn about it. And I think that would build our relationship further. So yeah, there were a lot of challenges. Um, I think not just with uh, being Muslim, but sometimes, you know, keeping up with the studying. Medicine involves a long, um, involves long hours of studying. And, you know, even when you're home, you're really not done because you have a presentation the next day. So it is tough, but something that is still doable. You look beautiful. The hijab looks beautiful. <laughs> um, for our listeners who can't see you, but what would you tell somebody who wants to practice and wants to wear a hijab today in this world, a young girl, what would you say? I would say if you want to wear it, wear it. I mean, this is a free country. And if that is your way of, uh, you know, uh, keeping your faith, if that's what your faith demands of you and you want to do it, then definitely, you know, there's just no, what I would say, contraindication for that. So, yeah. Definitely go for it. Be yourself. I think uh, the U.S. it values people for who they are. There are exceptions. There are people who are like you know fanatics, and they will discriminate. But for the most part, I've had a very positive experience uh, with the hijab. One of my patients was telling me recently. One of the parents he was telling me recently that he respects me more because I wear the hijab and I have the courage to do that so you know I think most of the time it's been a positive experience in spite of what you hear in the media uh, most of the time it is a very good experience that is so wonderful to hear so are there any two or three values that you really live your life what are those core values okay so this is a good question and um, I'm still a work in progress but I still try to live by those so number one is uh, we cannot be perfect Okay, perfection only belongs to Almighty God. And but in Islam, we have something called Ihsan. So Ihsan means pursuing excellence. So the pursuit of excellence is something we can all do. You know, we can all try and uh, do a little bit better every day, whether it's our job, whether it's our, you know, any other role that we are required to do. So the pursuit of excellence, uh, like I'm a firm believer in the saying that if anything is worth doing, it is worth doing well. That was my number one thing. The other thing is what my mom has taught me from a very young age is the concept of shukar and sabar. So shukar means being grateful and sabar means being patient. And uh, so she said, when the going is good, you, are th you be thankful and your attitude of gratitude will show in everything you do. And when you're being tested, when the going uh, gets tough, you know, sometimes life does throw curveballs at you. Somebody, a dear family member can get sick. There's so many things that can happen. You might not get the job that you really wanted. So those are the times you, you become patient. And then uh, those two qualities, the quality of being patient, the quality of being thankful, this will build resilience. You know, it will, you'll be able to face a lot more in life without getting stressed out. Okay, so those two values I live by, the pursuit of excellence and the, this, you know, the sabar and shukar, the gratitude and the 
patience part. So in, in your life, right, in, in your career, in your life, in general, in society, do you see a few standard things that you think we women do, which kind of pull us down a little bit more than they should, and we should avoid? All the time, we are all too often. Women are so strong, and the way women can multitask, I don't think men can do that. And we have so many roles, but sometimes we drown ourselves with this guilt and this negative self-talk. I mean, I was just having a conversation with my daughter the other day about guilt, you know, the mom guilt. When you're at work, you worry about you know, giving time to your kids. And when you're, when you're at home, you worry about, did I do my job right? Uh, you know, so I think that guilt part has to go. And then the other thing is, I think women are natural warriors too. Like we worry a lot more than, uh, you know, the other gender. So we worry about what people will say. And then we worry about the future. We worry about our kids needlessly. And all my life I've spent worrying. I wish, you know, um, I could go back. That's one thing I, I wish I could go and change about my life. Thankfully, most of my worries, most of my fears have not come true. And I would like to tell this to all the youngsters out there is, you know, stop worrying. And then if it is like a chronic problem, if stress, if it's taking over your life, that worry, then do get some mental health counseling. So, you know, a neutral person, an unbiased person can give you some advice on how to actually deal with those worries rather than, you know, ruin your mental health. I think I learned this pretty late in life, like in my 40s. I wish I learned this earlier. So I would say that to the younger ladies, the younger women out there is, you know, stop with the guilt, stop with the worrying. And then if you are a big time warrior, then go get some mental health counseling. So a lot of people actually have you know, mentors in place, they kind of help them balance the things, look, look at things from a third perspective, right? Have you ever seeked a mentor? Uh, I have not really actively sought a mentor. But you know, there were people in my life, fortunately, that kind of worked as mentors for me. Like I mentioned, my colleagues in the beginning, um, they were really like my go to, like, if I had anything to vent about, any complaints or, you know, then they would tell me, okay, maybe this is because, you know, you're looking at this problem in this way, maybe look at it in this way. So uh, I think those were my mentors. And then my own family, you know, I should say my daughter, my son-in-law, I feel like kids these days are more mature than I was at their age. I think they look, let me look at the other side. Uh, so they're kind of like my mentors, I would say. So don't be afraid to ask for advice. Don't be afraid to ask for help when you need it. You mentioned, you know, how kids are smarter these days. That is so true. Like half the time new device comes in, I'm still trying to figure out things. And my daughter has already figured it out, used it, said it's not worth it and moved on. You know, they're so quick. So and anybody in your family who was a big role model or an influence for you? Yeah, I think my mom, I think for most of us, it is our moms, but my mom's really special. You know, she um, did her pharmacy at a time when women really weren't going to school or doing like a career, had a career. So this was in the 60s and 70s. And then she tried to keep a balance that, you know, work-life balance is something I learned from her. And even now when she's retired, um, I mean, she loves to work. So even when she's retired, she runs this little jewelry business. And... Um, I, and she's so happy doing that. And I was asking her, you know, you're so happy. Your customers are so happy. 
what is this? What is your secret? And she told me this. Um, she was like, you know, when I was younger, I didn't have access to this beautiful jewelry that you guys buy nowadays, the artificial jewelry. And she's like, um, so it makes me happy to see all these young girls wearing it. You know, the, yeah, the money is a side effect from that. But I really like to make people happy. I really like to see people smile. So I think that really resonated with me. Like, you know, money is not the main goal. When you help people, it will show in your work and it will come back to you in many times over. Again, my mom talks a lot about baraka. So in your culture, that would be karma, right? When you do something good for someone, it comes back to you. She talks about baraka, like, you know, it's abundance. Like when you do something for somebody, it comes back multiplied to you in many, many multiplied times. Uh, like your blessings multiply is what she says. So I think that's uh, something I try to follow. It is hard um, thing to follow, but you know, making people happy is what she said was really going to help me in my work. So you, you mentioned um, earlier, right? That you're very passionate about mentoring younger generation, especially girls. You know, like how they, there's a saying that it takes a village to raise, uh, raise your children. So I would say it takes a, a village to be a successful woman or a person. You know, so start with that support, seeking out support early in your life, like build your network of, you know, friends and colleagues, your neighbors. What you're doing, Divya, is something like this, what you said about the multiplier effect, it really resonated with me. Because I think when we start seeking advice, when we start seeking help early in life, we have that support group already in place. So when things are not going your way, you have somebody to lean back on. But at the same time, I also want to tell them that also be part of that support group, like look out actively for people who might need help, you know, and also be there for them. Uh, when you're not that busy, be there for them. Uh, this generation, like the kids who are like in their 20s and 30s these days, they talk a lot and they're so articulate, but sometimes they're really bad at listening. I think my generation at Again, no generalizations, but most people who are my age in my circle, they are pretty good listeners. And uh, so if you want to talk to them, they will give you a listening ear without, you know, interrupting. So I think the younger generation, they need to start listening more too. You moved to Houston and COVID happened. Yes. So new place, you know, you have your family there, which is wonderful because you moved there to be closer to them. But how did you manage your time through COVID? So, yeah, so it was such a strange thing, such a coincidence that when we moved here, then everything shut down and, you know, we really couldn't meet anybody outside our immediate family. So, yeah, the first two or three months, they were pretty disturbing, I'm sure for all of us. Um, but thankfully, it gave me a little bit more time to focus on, you know, slow down a little bit because my uh, life was pretty fast paced before that. So I had to slow down a little bit, focus on my hobbies, like cooking and uh, teaching. And then, um, you know, one of my secret wishes was to be like a chef with the restaurant. I think you asked me before if there's something else I would be. So I have all these fantasies about how I could be a chef one day and have my own restaurant. But again, those are just fantasies. So, so I uh, spent a lot of time doing that. Then we moved, so that took, we moved to a new house, so that took some time. But overall, it was a very positive experience. I spent a lot of time with my mother, which I really hadn't got a chance. 
since that, like the last 20 years because she lived in India and uh, she was here for almost 10 months. And I think that's the first time I really, really connected with my mom. And uh, then I also spent a lot of time with my grandkids. So it was a pretty nice, joyful time. Parting comments. You know, my class, we had people from all other professions too. So there are people who had done law and then they decided to pursue medical school. So it's okay to be in some other profession and come to medicine. It's okay to change your mind in the middle, but it helps if you have your goals set early in life, if you have a plan. So part of having that plan is actually working with people. For example, if somebody wants to be a pediatrician, I would suggest to them that they should shadow a pediatrician uh, and maybe like even a pediatric hospitalist to see exactly what kind of lifestyle it is, what kind of work it actually entails um, before committing to it. So that's one thing. And then I would say, um, keep your enthusiasm. Don't, you know, as you get older, don't become less enthusiastic. Focus on you know, learning more and keeping up with your skills. And, you know, if somebody tells you that you cannot do uh, both, you cannot like have a family life and a career, those are, you know, don't listen to them. You try your best. Uh, but at the same time, I would say choose a spouse wisely to be, choose a person who is supportive of your goals and have that conversation before you commit to a person about what your goals in life are. Thank you so much. All great advice and we really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and have this conversation. Thank you so much, Afros. Well, really nice uh, talking to you, Divya. Thank you so much.